well. And I thought about that actually because there's smaller congregations in smaller suburbs. We're both in beach suburbs, which is amazing. Why people don't live near the sea, I don't know. It makes no sense to me. We traveled overseas recently and we went to cities inland and you feel claustrophobic. You're like, where's the sea? This is weird. Like, where do I go? I'm stuck. Where's the city? Anyway, it's not the point. But, but in smaller congregations and in smaller towns, we have an incredible opportunity to let our good deeds shine the glory of God to people. You'd, we, you'd be amazed how one small thing that you do can actually in the long run point someone to Jesus and what he's done for you. Something as simple as inviting someone to that Christmas Eve dinner. How often do we go, I know my neighbor's going to be lonely. Oh, I'm going to go to the Christmas Eve dinner. When in actual fact, you could go to that person and go, I don't actually know you very well. I don't know if you've got family. Maybe you don't. Why don't you come for dinner at, with our church? You don't know what's going to happen. In fact, in a small town, a small deed can cause a big ripple. A massive ripple, because that woman goes, I don't know these people, but they invited me to it. It was amazing. Maybe she doesn't get saved, but she's seen something of the goodness of God. Because th- this, is, this, is this, is, this is my thing. Good deeds open the door to, to the good news and to a good God. Good deeds open the door to the good news and to a good God. It is so simple to do a good deed for someone. And yet we think that evangelism is always like, I'm going to get on the streets and apologetics, and it is that. Sometimes it's just showing love and compassion to someone who really needs it. To get the sense that this church in Philadelphia did the, the, uh, they were good, they were consistent, they did the basics well, and as a result of that, they won the approval of God, and he trusted them enough to open a door, which we'll get to now. He trusted them enough to open a door. I've seen what you've done. I've seen that you're faithful, and now I'm going to open an opportunity for you as a church. And we'll get to what that is, because theologians are divided, but I I love a good theological debate. So anyway. (laughs) And so church, the sobering thing of this is, if he sees their deeds, we can talk about, well, the church in Philadelphia, if he sees their deeds, well, then he sees our deeds. He sees what we do well and what we don't. And so the question we need to ask ourselves is, do we love well? Do we serve well? Are we generous? Are we holding fast to good doctrine and good theology? Are we holding fast to the truth of the word? Are we bringing correction and discipline? Oh, I'll look at Mike and the elders and go back down. <laughs> and are you sincere in your affection towards one another and towards God? It's amazing what being sincere in your devotion to Christ can model to people who don't know him. It's a simple thing. So a question, a a statement I'd say, what I'd ask of you is, do the deeds well. Do the deeds well. Do the simple stuff well. Do the stuff that Jesus has asked you to do well. All of them. And because they've done well, because he says, I know your deeds, and he finds no fault, he then says, I've placed before you an open door. Now, who as a Christian has heard the term an open door? You can raise your hand. Okay, we've all heard it. Okay. Can I say, as a pastor, when someone comes to me and says, I think there's an open door, my first response is usually dread. I'm like, okay. 
I know this is a biblical concept. Right. What is the open door? Well, there's a job opportunity. It's always a job opportunity. And it's never in the same city. It's always across the world. And it's triple, quadruple, five times the salary. I think it's an open door from Jesus. And I'm sitting there going, I don't know. Because Jesus does bless people. But can I say this? I don't think Jesus' priority, and I say this lightly, I don't think his priority is your financial blessing. (laughs) Sorry, Mike. (laughs) I'm going to create work for you. But I think it's true. As much as he wants to bless people, of course. But I don't think he's going, you know what? Margaret, there's a job in Abu Dhabi which is going to pay you a million rand a month. I think that is what I've got for you. I don't know. I'm, I'm very cautious. Because Scripture says in 1 Timothy 6, and I just want to go down this thought a little bit because I think it's a little bit of a caution. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. We know that one. But we don't love money. We have money. Okay, we, we've, we've figured out an answer to that. I don't love money, but I've got money. But it says this. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Craving for money. And we can disguise it in this language, this Christian language, of it's an open door. Let me say something very controversial. The devil can open doors. <laughs> doors of deception. I'm not convinced pro- prosperity is God's top priority. Church, can we be very careful? Because we get very flippant with Christian language. There's a door. Okay, well, <laughs> because the doors I see in Scripture that Paul talks about are doors to preaching the words to Gentiles. Show me that door. Show me the door which is opening a door, but actually you're going to face many adversaries. Come to me and say, I feel like I need to go to a country where it's going to suck, but I'm going to go because Jesus called me. That's a door. Go for it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with you. I'll buy the plane ticket. Let's roll. (laughs) I'm going to have nothing. Great. (laughs) Okay, I'm being a little bit silly, but you get what I'm saying. Anyway. (laughs) Just know that Jesus is opening the door. Speak to your elders. Speak to the deacons. Speak to the leaders in your church. Is this really a door God's opening? Is it? And if they say no, don't go, well, they're not hearing God, I am. (laughs) It's amazing when you're right and everyone else is wrong, you're the only one hearing God. Anyway, moving on. But in this case, in the church in Philadelphia, in the church in Philadelphia, God says, I'm opening the door. It says this. Where are my notes? Uh, (laughs) Okay, let me just qualify. No, no, I'm way beyond that now. (laughs) Wait, no, no, I'm not. Okay, I'm keeping in touch. But I believe that God has opened a door for this church in Philadelphia because he says this. He says, um, I know your deeds. See, I've placed before you an open door which no one can shut. Now, I don't know about you, but if you're a church and, and God says to you, I've placed before you a door that no one can shut, well, that's incredible. That would fill you with boldness, right? That would fill you with an incredible sense of God has opened the door. Now, the question I said earlier, what is this door that God has opened for the church in Philadelphia? We see it as a, a reward for their perseverance. And as I said, theologians do differ sometimes on things. It's not a gospel issue, so people have different interpretations. Some would say it's an entrance into the joy of the Lord. 
might be feasible. And some say, well, it's a door out of persecution because he says, I will, I will save you from this time of testing. But personally, I, I tend to land where other theologians land that, and, and I, I use, I try to use, well, I want to use the Bible to interpret the Bible. And so the Apostle Paul uses, I said just now, the analogy of an open door. He says in 1 Corinthians 16:9, a wide door for effective work has been opened to me, and there are many adversaries, which I spoke about earlier. Not every door is a door of like, ooh, door slips. Like, Paul's expecting adversaries. Or in Acts 14, 27, and when he arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. And so I look at this passage and other passages and I go, well, in my mind it makes sense that the door that's been opened is a door to sharing the gospel with those around them. Now, if you read this passage, you'll see that this church was persecuted. So here's the reward. Jesus said, I see your deeds. I've opened before you a door. Here is the reward, to preach the gospel to the very people that have been persecuting you all along. How many of us would rejoice at that reward? As I said before, if Jesus has opened the door, imagine Jesus opens an opportunity over this time, and and I want you to say this, if your elders are feeling like there's an opportunity or something that God is doing in this place, or maybe there's a sense of a favor in a certain area, why wouldn't you run to that place? If, there's an, if, if, if Mike says there's an open door, I feel like there's, there's something, I think, I feel God is opening a door to something in our, in our community. As a church, could I challenge you to go, we are with you 100%. We will run through that thing into everything that God has for us. As opposed to going, well, that's cool. Maybe you can take a core team of people with you and the rest of us will watch from the sidelines. Jesus has opened a door he has gone before and he will fill you with boldness and courage and he will prepare the hearts of the people that you are meant to reach. That is the faith that we have. And so church, what doors or opportunities do you think Jesus longs to offer us? I say that to Musenberg and I say that to Asian. What are the opportunities in this neighborhood that you feel God could possibly give you? Favor in our community, a great harvest of souls are just examples. Has God opened a door into your neighbor's life? It's very easy to, to, to get into your neighbor's life. It really just starts with conversation. How often do we not talk to our neighbors? It's insane. And we're called to love them. <laughs> I uh, Personally, I've had ex- experiences of this where... Um, Who's had this? I'm not alone, I'm sure. But you have a feeling of God's calling you to speak to someone. You feel a strong sense of, I need to speak to this person, and then you don't. And then for me, often my feeling, the, the thought that goes through my mind is, will God give me that opportunity again? And that's a sobering thing for me, because Scripture says, today is the day of salvation. Now, I don't lay heavy on you, but if it says today is the day and God has called you to speak to someone, no one is promised tomorrow. If God opens a door or gives favor, church, run to it, but don't waste it. 
don't waste an opportunity from God. Oh, my word. Yeah. Imagine standing there one day and he goes, Noah, <laughs> this is quite hard, but hear what I'm saying. You're standing there and, and you're standing and Mike's given an account for the church. He says, yes, I know your deeds. You guys did so well in so many things, but I have this one thing against you. You missed that opportunity. So we've done deeds, <laughs> let me just break the tension, deeds, doors, do you remember the third one? Dependence, thank you, yeah, someone, someone's writing notes, isn't it? And so we see this church is dependent on God. Now I think that is actually plays in the favor of smaller churches, I really do. He says this, he says, for you have only a little strength. Yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Well, for many people to be labeled a church of little strength might be a good thing. But I know for most church planters and lead elders, if someone stood up and said, you are a church of little strength, you'd be like, no. That is, <laughs> I'd be horrified. No, what do you mean? My flesh would rise up and go, no, but we do this, this, this. No, you're a church of little strength. And my reaction is wrong because I should go, yes, we are a church of little physical strength, but we are a church of great spiritual strength because we rely wholly on Christ. You see, the bigger the church gets, the bigger it grows, the more systems you put in place because you have to. And the danger is that you can lose something of an intimacy and a relying on Christ. Church, always rely on Christ. This church in Philadelphia went through incredible persecution. A small church went through persecution, which means a church this size of 100 people, everyone knows each other, they're all being persecuted, and they don't give up the faith. A small church, you go, and bigger churches get persecuted, it's fine, because there's lots of people to be persecuted, not us. <laughs> Let the real zealots get persecuted. We'll just sit at the back. No, in a small church, there's no back. I can see all of you. <laughs> Be a church of little strength. Revel in that. Thank you, Jesus, that physically we are so weak that we rely on you completely. Without you, we are nothing. Sardis had a reputation for being alive, but they were dead. I never want to be a church with a reputation for being alive. I want to be a church that's alive. Philadelphia had a reputation for being weak, but they were actually strong. Which one would we rather be? Paul says this famous thing. He's talking about the thorn in his flesh, but in 2 Corinthians 9, 12, he says, Therefore I will boast more gladly in my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest on me. That is why, for the sake of Christ, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties, for when I am weak, I am strong. <laughs> when last did we say, I haven't said this in a while, if ever, I delight in hardship and persecutions. <laughs> I mean, come on, when? 
church, be weak in your own strength, but strong in Christ. That is my encouragement to you, Musenberg and Overton Church. I pray that we, uh, both our congregations grow. I'm not praying that we stay small forever because it means we're not reaching people for the gospel, but stay weak physically and teach that to your people. Don't rely on your own strength. Rely on the strength of Christ. So I'm got three minutes, okay. So in closing, (laughs) a reminder. Do the deeds well, run through the open doors, and be of little strength, and be strong in the spirit. Do the deeds well, run through the open doors, and be of little strength, but be strong in the spirit. And and invite your neighbors to the Christmas Eve dinner. (laughs) And I I hope this does encourage you. I know we're winding down. I know we're all tired. And you're going, this guy's trying to rev us up. It's December. What is he doing? He's insane. I get it. But don't miss opportunities in this time to reach out to your neighbor. It could be a simple conversation, really, because before you know it, the holidays are over and you're back in church and you're running again. So rest well. I'm not saying don't rest. Rest well. And come back next year ready to run and run through whatever doors Jesus opened for this church, for both of our churches. That would be good for everyone. And then, um, I know there was one or two visitors, but as I've been speaking, I've been speaking a lot about doors, right, and opening open doors. And actually, as believers, we believe that there's only one door to eternal life and to Christ or to God the Father, and that is Christ. The scripture tells us that says, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to me except by the Father. So Jesus is the door to eternal life. And I, I would encourage you, if you've come here today and go, what is this guy talking about? Doors and dependence and deeds. Go away with one thing. Christ is the only way to the Father. And Christ is the only way out of this world into a life of eternity with him. And all you need to do is recognize that he is God and that you, through your own sinfulness, have sinned against the holy God and that actually what you deserve is hell. Now, that's not a popular teaching anymore in the church. But it's a real teaching saying, actually, if you, if you die outside of Christ, you don't spend eternity with him, which means that you will spend eternity away from him. But 2,000 years ago, Christ sent his son to die on a cross to pay for every single sin that you have done. And so the good news is today, if you sit here as a sinner, you sit with no hope. But actually, you have hope because Christ is the way to that hope. And all you need to do is, Christ, I, you say, Christ, I'm so sorry for sinning. I'm so sorry for what I've done. Please forgive me. And he does in an instant. He forgives you. And he accepts you. And not only does he accept you, not only does he just go, well, I'll deal with them. It's okay. He says, no, you're my son and my daughter. And there's an incredible promise for those of us who believe in Christ. I wonder if we could just bow our heads quickly. I don't know everyone in this room. I, 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 I know most of the people from our church. But I would say to you, if you don't know Christ, if you've never bowed your knee, if you've never asked him for forgiveness, if you, if you can't say today, that as you leave here, if this is the day of salvation, and you can't say, I will leave here knowing Christ, I can't, I say this very carefully, I cannot promise you tomorrow. I cannot promise that Christ will extend grace to you tomorrow, but he extends grace to you today. 
He extends forgiveness and mercy and kindness and long-suffering because He is so good towards us who are sinful and don't deserve it. Maybe you were saved years ago and you, you've just kind of wandered along in this life and you haven't really devoted your life to Christ. Or maybe you've backslidden with this word of, of once I was with Christ, but I've, I've kind of walked off the path and I'm walking my own path. And today as well, Christ says, come back to me. Walk with me. He wants you to walk with him. He doesn't want sons and daughters who are estranged from him. And so I will ask, is there anyone here who maybe has never made a decision to, to, to ask Christ to forgive their sins? Is there anyone who's outside of Christ? If that is you, I would ask you to raise your hand because I'd love to pray for you. It's like the greatest privilege as a pastor is to lead people to Christ. Or if maybe you once were a Christian and now find yourself in a different path, wondering in a different direction, going, I'm in this church, I don't know why, I once knew Christ, but I don't know if I know him anymore. Is there anyone like that here today? I would ask you to raise your hand as well. No one's looking at me. Okay, good. Let me pray. Thank you, Jesus, for this morning. Thank you, God, that uh, in our own weakness, the music instruments didn't work. But God, we found strength to praise you because we love you, Father God. It's not about externals. It's not about what this hall looks like or what we do or anything. It's all about you, Father God. And God, we are so grateful that we got to meet in a hall in Asia Fontaine and declare the glory of your name, Father God. Praise you, God. You are wonderful and awesome and worthy of our praise, Father God. And Jesus, thank you that we could spend time in worship. Thank you that we could spend time under your word. And God, I want to pray for this congregation that you would create opportunities for them, Father God, to meet people, to invite people to church, Father, to do small deeds for people, Father God. That those people would say, what is it about these people that they keep loving you? Why do they keep loving you? And God, I pray from that opportunities will be created to, to share the love of Christ, Father God. That each and every person here has been pursued by you. God, give us a, a heart to pursue the lost, Father God. I pray that, as you say in your word, God, that um, the love of Christ would compel us, Father God. I pray for this church that the love of Christ would compel them, Father God to seek out the lost, Father God. And then, God, I just pray as we were singing that song, I have, I have that word in Acts 1.8, Father God, that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And God, I pray that this church would be one that would seek your power through the Holy Spirit, knowing that we have nothing inside of us, but only you, Father God. And I pray that this would be a church known as a weak church, but strong, 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 strong in their reliance, in their love for you. I pray to your name.